I mean, what, 30 times now? I mean, we have displaced Bob Dylan. We have displaced the Foo Fighters. Uh, I mean, they're all standing aside because of what we're doing here. It, it, isn't it so great, Matt? Isn't it so good? Yeah. And, mean, it, and it's and it's the new year, and we're still doing it. And we're still <laughs> doing it, and, and we haven't been arrested yet, so we keep on doing it. So. Yeah. All right, we, over we, to you, Matt. We hope that we we also get uh, the same number of followers this year as we did last year. So maybe we're just going to continue singing. Um, but I think tonight it's not about our uh, uh, singing talents. <laughs> it's about uh, the talents of a company called Circularize. And tonight we are here with uh, Phil and Masba. Welcome. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. Pleasure to be back with you. And, thanks, and let, let me tell you this before we start, that intro needs to stay. <laughs> <You can't>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, it's such a good start to any oh. conversation. <laughs> you made my day, sir. Thank you. Wayne's <laughs> uh, <Grace> World. Wayne's <laughs> World. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, we can we can keep it like as we will see. Uh, but I think it was it was a good one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But welcome, uh, Phil and Mespa, and, and really happy that that you you made it back, as you already mentioned, Phil. Um, and uh, yeah, so since you've already been partly our guest, because it was Phil and Brian, your other colleague. Um, you might still know what we're standing for and uh, our mission is you know creating the space and a platform for honest trustful and sometimes maybe even slightly controversial discussions uh, around plastics innovation and especially circularity so we hope this will lead to a more sustainable future with plastics and uh for those who haven't listened to our episode last year from the Chemical Recycling Europe conference, maybe you tell us first what is Circularize doing and uh, what you're standing for. Who wants to start? Sure, I can. Uh, I can go. Uh, so, uh, Circularize is a company from the Netherlands, and what we stand for is we honestly believe we cannot achieve a circular economy without having transparency and a digital backbone to the supply chain. Um, this is our mission. Uh, there is no uh, future that we can think of that uh, is circular, uh, more circular than today, uh, that does not come with uh, uh, more, better data sharing capabilities and supply chains. So that's our mission and that's why we, uh, what, we, uh, what we do, what we do. Great. So before we jump into some more details on how you're trying to achieve your mission, we are not only a very chemi chemistry nerd driven podcast, we also have sometimes a, a social side. So we're also sometimes interested in the people <laughs> behind the companies, um, because that's actually the real interesting stories. Um, and uh, yeah, since, as I said, today we have the 
first time two guests so we will have to decide who to start uh with first but we would like to have a bit more background on where you're coming from how did you end up in this field of circularity and uh what is driving you so again the question who wants to start maybe now phil um, well, if it's about circularize, I would actually propose Mesbar to start because he was essentially what I would describe as the brainchild of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would defer to Mesbar first and I will explain how I joined the journey with circularize, but also rewind a little bit and where my journey into uh, circularity came as well, because it is all related to plastics. But Mesbar, over to you first. Um, yeah, so um, I grew up in... Uh, the Eastern Netherlands, and I uh, decided to do an engineering degree. Uh, this uh-huh. was 2011. Uh, so I went to Delft, uh, Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands, one, one of the three biggest uh, engineering schools, uh, and uh, focused on industrial design. So product manufacturing, how do you get uh, a, a, mm-hmm. a, a product into industrial scale? Um, this was also partly because, you know, I'm from an Afghan family and either you become a doctor or an engineer or like <laughs> this is very, very typical. And, uh, I, I kind of want to pursue that path and didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I remember very, very clearly one of the first um, weeks at, uh, at university, I, I came across this big billboard at the campus that says sustainable engineering or something like that. And I was like, what, what the hell is that? Like, I, I had no idea. Like, literally, I did not know what sustainable engineering meant. Um, and uh, there was this big focus and it kind of flew by me. Like I had no idea and was just focusing on, on the, the core concepts of an engineering. Um, and in about two years uh, from, from that uh, first week of uh, university, I happened to do an um, additional course on sustainability. Um, and I believe the main reason for that is because I was too late subscribing to the other things. And <laughs> I, I couldn't get in anymore. <laughs> so uh, I went to this engineering thing and I, I remember... Um, uh, now he's an advisor to, the, to, the, to, to our company, uh, Dave Peck, who is one of the uh, uh, professors there, uh, talking about uh, critical materials and, and, and the circular economy. And within a day or so, I was completely sold. I was like, that's the only thing I started focusing on circular economy uh, and trying to understand and, and uh, all the core engineering principles um, were as much as I could applied to circularity and, and, and sustainable thinking. Um, and I ended up uh, writing together with Dave and and, and uh, uh, some other professors my, my thesis in 2016 around how do you uh, use digital technologies and, and markers and, and such uh, in enabling a circular economy and what are the core problems. So yeah. um, it was driven from this research perspective of, you know, we need digital solutions, we need to be able to communicate in supply chains uh, and uh, to come up with a solution that can connect the supply chain and enable some of these core uh, value proposition of a circular economy, uh, having digital solutions out there. We did not mm-hmm. have a solution. We just identified primarily a problem uh, yeah, that yeah. needed to, uh, and, and frankly, um, none of this was starting from the blockchain perspective. We didn't even know what blockchain was. That really came yeah. into the picture uh, much later. I still don't know what it is. You know, I mean, I, 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 what, what I find, I mean, you, you, this come up already a couple of times, uh, yeah, and that is uh, what I find really, really cool about circularizing and about what your what you your story is. It, you, Phil said it, and now you said it, and that is, uh, yeah, you, you didn't say, okay, we have blockchain technology. What can we do with? It? You came with like some some. Uh, other idea, other sense, other sense of importance, other value, and said, "Okay, 
what what tools can what tools do we need and, and what capabilities do we have and boom i mean it's kind of am i right that's how how you 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 uh yeah, absolutely you came to we're, it, right? we're trying to solve a problem here and yeah. i've said this many times and, and and i'll keep saying it we don't really care about blockchain if tomorrow we find a better solution yeah we're happy to move like we're just happy yeah. to delete the whole blockchain thing and just move to something else because it's call not it circle our, chain. Uh, call it circle chain <laughs> triangle <laughs> chain it doesn't matter <laughs> whatever it is uh, <laughs> as, as, as long as it solves the problem we're happy to uh, adopt it yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think one of the problems is like because blockchain is understood but not so many people. And then if you do something with blockchain, then you're always stamped like, yeah, this is a blockchain company. <laughs> but it's good that we clarified this now. I think this you, is Matt, you also get what I would call uh um extreme interest from the crypto crazies. And I think <laughs> clear that cryptocurrencies and blockchain are two completely separate entities. <laughs> and so <laughs> Everyone thinks that we're deep down into the crypto space. Yeah. We're not. We're using the functions of a blockchain, which is as basic as it can be, creating a block of data, linking yeah. it to the next one in a chain in a way that cannot be edited without everybody knowing. All of the other aspects around the cryptocurrencies, you know, the speculation that we've seen, that is nothing to do with what we're doing. So if anyone is listening and you want to circularize because you really want to understand cryptocurrency, go speak to Coinbase, go speak to another actor, because that's not what we do. Dr. Phil Brown. Dr. Phil Brown, you just you just explained to what Matt would call a, a drunk five-year-old here. I, I understand I understand blockchain now for the first time, you know. And so I, but I'm a bit disappointed, I must say. I thought you're you're offering your services in Bitcoin or something. Uh, no, we, we, we use the Ethereum network. So we, we use uh, Ether to pay for the gas fees to operate our system. But uh, to be honest, if you interact with <laughs> us, if you're a customer of ours, you actually probably don't even realize that the data that you're uploading without really knowing and us telling you is, is connected to a blockchain behind the system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would always use the analogy of a mobile phone, for instance. I, I can do very basic coding. Mesbar can do quite a bit more coding, and we have back-end guys who can code to the cows come home. But how many people actually know how to code, but they use the functions and features of code every single day? And I think what we will see is a bit of a step change when blockchain technology becomes more ubiquitous and we see use cases you probably won't even have a distinction between is it a cloud computing system? Is it a blockchain? It's just my data is stored somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then I have a device that is accessing that. Mm -hmm. And and that's that I, I hope yeah. you reach that transition point soon, because to be honest, it would save myself and Mesba and the whole circularized team a lot of discussion points. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we We have repeatedly, and I almost operate by the rule of three, you have to have the same conversation three times with an organization about blockchain before they really understand it and move on and then start understanding wow. how, do we, how do we use this is the, is the challenge, but yeah. wow. Wow. That, that, that's a fascinating statement you made there. I mean, uh, I, I hear what you said. That, that's fascinating, you know, that, and I can see how, uh, uh, you know, in, in the world, you know, we got to move, we got to move on, you know, and, 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 and develop business and opportunity. It's like, you have to, but you have to be patient and bring bring your uh, prospect, customer, market, who it is you're trying to solve a problem for, along with you. I mean that that's really uh, you know a 
fascinating observation. To build on what John has said, because we've had so much speculation within the crypto space and yeah. mm. we've we've heard, you know, horror stories about hacks, etc. But let's be blunt about the fact that a blockchain has never been hacked. People have lost their wallets, mm. they've lost their key, but mm. data has not been manipulated or changed. And actually a lot of the hacks that have happened and cryptocurrencies have been stolen by proxy of how a blockchain functions, mm. they've actually been able to uh, track those people down and or recover the assets as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it, it's still this aspect, and I think we need to put a pin in this at some point with the whole discussion around... No, no, I said, I was, that, that was the pin. That was the pin in the whole <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I, I see, Phil, from, from what you're saying. So you're, you're very passionate also about the topic and uh, you obviously know a lot about the topic how did it come how did you come to to so, to, to this knowledge and and what motivates you to work in this field yeah um yeah so, so my journey is uh, into the circular economy space i am not a blockchain expert i know enough to be dangerous and not know enough to actually do anything with it. <laughs> that's, that's my problem but my journey into circular economy actually started quite some time ago um and through through some life uh, processes most notably at the age of 18 i was in china and i was teaching english as a foreign language and I remember the moment that I went on a holiday. Um, I actually, I've even used this uh, story in an Ellen MacArthur Foundation summit speech that I gave where my inspiration came. But it is true. I saw the foundations of a building when I left. And four weeks later, when I came back, there was a building. Okay, they were putting the glass in. And this was a 10-story building. Mm -hmm. I had not seen that rate of change development in my life living in the UK up until that point. You know, this was in 2004 in China and mm -hmm. seeing that, and it's probably just accelerated even more since then. Mm -hmm. And that triggered me onto the idea because at the time I was hearing everybody talk about, you know, China is bringing on uh, a new power station, coal, coal powered every week. And you hear that statistic and you go, wow, that's a lot of power stations. But until you see it, it's really kind of, it, it, it's crazy to yeah. accept that. And my my notion at that point was, okay, finite resources, one planet, growing population, how are we going to manage this? Now, to be honest, I went and did my uh, university degree uh, at Manchester University. I studied philosophy, politics, anthropology, and economics. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. So I thought I would just study everything and kind of combine it. Uh, actually, it was titled a combined studies degree. But through that, I really wanted to see if I could work with companies, work with governments around trying to deal with this big problem. I have to say global recession 2008 kind of came in and changed my plans. You know, we we live and learn and we just do what we have to. But um, I ended up working in software sales at the time and initially for um, uh, communication software. But then I transitioned to a company that was using GIS data to do supply chain mapping, trying to understand carbon etc. And still at that point, I, I felt my knowledge was quite superficial. So I went and did a master's in environmental management for business at the University of Cranfield. And serendipity was that they were also a pioneering university of the Ellen MacArthur network, another being Delft. The same name also appears here, which is Dr. David Peck, whom I met at that time. And that whole network of the Ellen MacArthur group really inspired me. And I was like, 
looking at the problems that I saw ahead. And the one that was focusing my lens was waste electronics, fastest growing waste stream. Mm. And I thought this is a problem that no one's really solving. 3D printing, this is 2012, 2013. I was reading a Time magazine about the next industrial revolution where everybody would have a 3D printer on their desk. And I just thought, whoa, if everyone has a printer that can produce plastic materials on their desk, are we just going to have this big plastic waste problem? So I looked at the problem of waste electronics. I looked at a potential solution of a FDM printer. And I said, can I recover the material from waste electronics for use in a 3D printer? That was my feasibility study. I I looked into it and I also met a company in the Netherlands who was doing that. And I moved to the Netherlands and this is where I reconnected with Dave Peck. And actually years later, I did some other stuff in between, both working for research and et cetera. And then I came back to the Netherlands to do my PhD. In my first week, my promoter, Ruud Balkenende, and Dave said, hey, you should probably speak to a guy called Mesbar. He's working on some stuff that's kind of interesting and probably (laughs) in the same sort of line as you. And we we basically realized that we were working on similar topics. Now, I have to say, Mesbar had already kind of narrowed his lens to the problem. And out of my research, I was also exploring how to facilitate collaborative innovation across an entire network. And I basically, it took me a bit longer than Mesbar. He's smarter than me, I have to say. And I did it in four years. He did it in six months. He's laughing. He's laughing. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm also going to I'm laughing about- because I'm not, I'm not trusting anything that he's saying. <laughs> But we came to the same conclusion that you need this mechanism to really facilitate companies collaborating on a different level. They need to be able to communicate. And honestly, and I think I said this to you, Matt, in the previous one, uh, the previous podcast that we did, Mm -hmm. if companies trusted each other and if they were freely available, sharing their information, Circularize wouldn't be needed at all. But that Mm -hmm. is not the reality we live in. Now, if we want to really create a circular system where products, materials, and energy flow and come back and are reused, I mean, I will probably defer to John on this. What are the challenges from a chemical recycler's position in the value chain to assess an an amount of incoming material? Like how much data do they need to be able to process that to the highest level? Over to you, John. Oh, wow. I got it. Now I got to think. I got to play like I have something smart to say here. Okay, I'm going to try. Let me try. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I don't know if I can answer precisely your question there, uh, Phil, but but I can uh, can say some things about uh, the, the importance of, of, of uh, well, uh, the, the first word. You said it, uh, probably the word number three or four that came out of your mouth tonight uh, was transparency. Uh, and, and that that is so important. Uh, uh, it, it, yeah, actually, it, it, it's actually you know kind of a good thing to have in the world. You know, it's like sunshine. Transparency is a good thing. You know, in 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 a comprehensive, holistic sense. You know, uh, and and uh, it, when you look at chemical recycling, and you look at well, number one, uh, you have different technologies addressing different plastic types. Uh, having different direct outputs. So, so when I say chemical recycling, it, it's it's really chemical recycling technologies. I said it's com- more complexity there. But if you look at, for example, uh, the the uh, technologies, uh, thermal thermal cracking technologies. Uh, that's another way of saying pyrolysis uh, or or hydrothermal treatment, uh, for example. Uh, uh, the, these these technologies. Uh, take uh, uh, plastic waste, uh, namely polyolefinic is the main uh, 
stream there, uh, and, and and they 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 transform that in, into uh, what's called pyrolysis oil, which is, which is a naphtha type of 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 of, of oil, uh, but it's not ready typically to go directly into a cracker, uh, so it needs to be. Uh, uh, treated uh, to some extent, depending on what's coming in, and then it goes into the uh, cracker. Out of that is where the mass balance really needs to be applied, because uh, in today's fossil-based uh, crackers across Europe, I think there's 50 or 55 of them across Europe, uh, and they're absolutely huge. And you bring in chemical recycling technology today, uh, uh, and and you you. Uh, plug in uh, to this uh, infrastructure today, rather, uh, to begin with, uh, you need some some way of saying, okay, I'm putting in pyrolysis oil into this cracker, but it's like 0.01% of, of, of the feed to that cracker, if, if not even less, to begin with. Uh, and, and what comes out the other end? It can be all kinds of fractions and splits and so on. You know this. Uh, uh, how, do, how do you account for that? How can you use uh, chemical engineering? How can you use uh, 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 technologies to account for this? How can you apply a mass balance? Uh, and and how can you do this in a way where it's like it's, it's transparent and correct scientifically uh, and so on? Uh, th this this is being implemented uh, in the industry today with with entities uh, certifying like ISCC, for example, kind of kind of the gold standard, I, I would say, of certification entities uh, in my my humble uh, uh opinion um and and so 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 all these things are coming in place but what's needed more so is is uh this transparency down the value chain and that's where circularize comes in with with your solution but here's the bottom line there there is no chemical recycling industry uh with, without mass balance today uh, uh, there is no mass balance without transparency. And you could logically ask the question, you know, is there <laughs> is is there mass balance and transparency without solutions like, like circularized? <laughs> circularized. Yeah, serious, yeah. like seri seriously, seriously, yeah. seriously. I can jump in here because I think I, I didn't like it was uh, like we, we like nerding out on these topics and sometimes even I lose the track. But what I definitely understand is like this means a lot of information and i'm also working in the circularity space working on way, circular yeah. product design and uh, we're currently developing a uh, a system to kind of quantify circularity along the entire product value chain so we look like really what kind of indicators do you have on the raw material side or the distribution production and so on and just with a simple product like a t-shirt and you have to quantify like stuff like durability or I don't know uh, repairability or some recycled. How much data is involved just in this little aspect of the entire value chain that we have to look at? And I think you mentioned it, Mespa, um, already in the beginning that this is actually part of your mission. We need these technologies. And, and and also companies like like you guys to to make circular economy happen because today we all talk about it but really implementing circular economy is so challenging and it won't work without technologies that are able to to process the data to to calculate the impact along 
every little um, uh, aspect of the value chain, right? Yeah, and just just to jump in a bit there, Matt, because what John was saying about the lens from the chemical recycler, so that material goes into uh, a value chain, and there is a downstream brand or OEM that has made conscious decisions to purchase that material, which is probably more costly because it's coming from a renewable feedstock. Today, uh, today. Today, yeah. But they also <laughs> want to be able to uh, accredit that they have made a conscious purchasing decision in their product portfolio. So now to your lens about the specific T-shirt. So uh, let's fast forward to the consumer. I have three T-shirts in front of me. One of them is labeled circular. One of them is labeled a T-shirt. And one of them is labeled something else. And then they've got to make a decision about how is how do I assess the sustainability or circularity of T-shirt A, B, or C? How do I compare these? And right now, what we don't have, so transparency is one of those lenses, but the other is standardization. Because if I'm comparing, now let's take the word LCA, life cycle assessment, or product and carbon footprint. Um, everyone's got their own methodology. Everyone's using data in their own way. And if you speak to any LCA expert, what's the impact of this? Well, it depends on the scope. Okay, so the the underlying idea here is we want to try and remove a lot of that um, scoping and say, okay, well, this is the data. These are your different ranges of methodologies that you can uh, assess this data on so that you can actually compare like for like in front of the consumer. Yeah. And if we don't have that ability, now we've talked a lot about transparency as well. And uh, John, you referenced it similar to Sunshine. It's a nice thing to have, but... Honestly, when you speak to a lot of people and companies specifically, they like the idea of transparency, <laughs> but the reality of it is very scary because that oh, means man. I now have to go from yeah. all of my sensitive information to myself, my input, output, uh, the chemical composition that I'm using. Yeah, suddenly good point. That. Excellent point. I mean, Mesba, on, on that front, what, what's your sort of key takeaway about the, the need <laughs> and desire for transparency versus... Uh, companies desire to do it transparency versus discretion <laughs> yeah so, when we started circus as i mentioned earlier we, we we said okay we need to solve this problem this is this is worth solving right um we don't know how but we definitely need to try foc uh, focusing on, on solving this problem of, of a lack of transparency and traceability and data sharing and supply chains and very quickly we we're like oh, all right um this means that we need to collect all this data from a supply chain or somebody needs to collect it. All right, fair enough. Um, how do you do that at scale? Will you build a platform? All right, so now you get a central platform. We're not talking about blockchain yet. We got a central platform who's going to collect all this information from a supply chain. What if it is successful? <laughs> like, what if it actually achieves collecting all this massive amount of data from a supply chain. What do you get? Like you get this huge target on your back, right? And uh, even if uh, you would be able to handle that, why would people trust you? Or why would we trust me in handling all that data? And 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 specifically if the, the stakes are high, um, what prevents me from going corrupt and changing that data if somebody starts to you know want to change that data for whatever reason um, so 
we were like saying, okay, we definitely don't want that, right? So we need to have somebody that something or some solution that is more independent and trustworthy by design as opposed to trusting because uh, we, we, we say so. So you kind of very naturally come to blockchains uh, thinking that way. But then the problem with blockchains is that they are shared ledgers across <laughs> multiple people running it. So there is no, no confidentiality. This is a very uh, common misconception. People think blockchain also it must be secure. So you, you have some sort of a confident. No, no, no. Blockchains are the least secure thing in terms of confidentiality out there. Right? All the data on a blockchain is out there. Everybody can run a copy. Uh, so there, there is no confidentiality uh, if you're running things on a blockchain because the, by design you're sharing the data across multiple actors. So this was the big second problem we, we needed to solve. This is, this is literally the first couple of months of the, uh, starting the company, right? So um, yeah, we, we, we need independence. We can use blockchain for that. But once we use blockchain, you don't have confidentiality. And obviously nobody want, wants to do anything with uh, regards to transparency if you can't handle confidentiality and, and sensitive data. So that's very naturally where you then come into other solutions that kind of balance best of both worlds. You need to have the right amount of transparency, but always with a minimum level of confidentiality protection, because otherwise it's never going to work. Uh, if, if, if companies need to share data and therefore lose a competitive advantage, it will not happen. So mm. this is... Uh, thinking that happened very early on in the company and we spent a great deal of effort into uh, providing solutions in this space specifically with our patent pending technology which kind of balances this really well which is i would say um, very unique in this in this space so, yeah. mm-hmm. that's fascinating i mean i mean uh, when, when you when you bring it up uh, uh i mean uh it's like i, I it's like okay uh, on the one hand it's like you know it's like okay I, oh yeah i wouldn't even think about that but wow it's a good point uh, uh, and you know it, it kind of humbles me a little bit in my, in my use of words because i just throw out there transparency and like uh in a way expecting you to say rah 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 but you're saying okay you know let me let me tell you about this um, let me, let me, let me tell you about, you know, uh, you know, how, 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 this, you know, how this is done. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, to, 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 be fair, it's not always the case, right? It really mm-hmm. comes back to where we come from. I also did a great deal of focus on, on, on electronics, on, on mm-hmm. metals, mm-hmm. uh, plastics. And, and if you understand how raw materials go from a raw material all the way to a final yeah, product yeah. and, and mm-hmm. what amount of steps and manufacturing steps and, and, and stakeholders it takes to really go from that raw material to the final yeah. component, well, yeah. you understand confidentiality. Um, it's not always the case, right? There are supply chains, um, in particular with like food or some some other like uh, materials where confidentiality isn't that big of a deal, right? You, mm-hmm. you have like a farmer and it goes to a collector and it kind of mm-hmm. goes to a final, final retail. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're using a vanilla blockchain that kind of doesn't connect or, or doesn't protect confidentiality at the, at the greatest level uh, might be good to start with. Um, mm-hmm. Where we started with specifically in, in, in plastics, uh, chemicals, metals, electronics, mm-hmm. there's a great deal of, of, of confidentiality. And, yeah, um, of course. Yeah. So it, it, it naturally is a limiting factor. If you can't solve that, uh, you're never going to achieve um, any any kind of transparency. And what we have unfortunately been seeing is that a lot of... Um, Competing solutions are uh, tend tend to draw um, solutions from uh, private blockchains, where they say, "Okay, we're going to run a blockchain, but it's going to be a private blockchain that I run." 
to me, that doesn't make sense. Like, why would you run a blockchain, which is something that multiple people can run and, and, and interact with and validate the data, and then say it's a, it's a private one because of confidentiality and, and, and or whatever reasons. It kind of defeats the whole purpose of a blockchain. Um, so to us, it was either we use a public blockchain and solve the shortcomings around confidentiality, or we don't use a blockchain at all, right? There's, there's no point in having a privately owned blockchain that nobody else can see and run, and you have to kind of trust you that you're running it in a correct way, fashion, or that, that kind of defeats the whole purpose to us. Yeah, that brings me to the next question, actually, because you, you already mentioned, like, it's about, you know, um, also understanding the material flows and understanding the dynamics and also like the information exchange between the different, uh, uh, let's say, phases of, of uh, not only products, but like processes and so on, industrial processes. So now you're mentioned you're you're focusing on on the plastics industry electronics i i believe and metals <clears throat> when do you see further applications and and what are your plans like are you planning to expand or are you rather planning to focus more on on the current uh, uh industries that you are in um so i mean just just to add that matter as well actually the 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 aspect is automotive as well Mm -hmm. um, but if you think about how supply chains operate, so um, as Mesbar indicated, there are certain supply chains where transparency is its already the norm, or you, you basically kind of have to, yeah. food being one, for instance. So what we feel like we've done within the polymer and chemical space, if you can really crack that hard nut, which is really on the chemical composition level, the sensitive IP uh, that's yeah. on that, sourcing composition, then we, by proxy of servicing our downstream clients, such as brands and OEMs within automotive or within electronics, you then naturally have to bring in critical materials, rare earths, metals, because complex products are made of multiple materials factions. So our, our aim is to really grow with our clients. And we've been taking a supplier first approach. So we've done a lot of the hard work with really making a system. Now, John mentioned in the previous uh, discussion, uh, ISCC. So we actually did a project with the ISCC. He mentioned it as the gold standard of certification. So we've we've done a project there, but already off the success of that project, which was for ISCC Plus, already fuels companies are now contacting us saying, okay, you've done this for ISCC Plus. Can we look into the ISCC EU for the biofuels? Answer is, and survey says, yes. When we were servicing Porsche, we were working primarily with uh, Domo, Borealis, and Covestro in that first project. But then Porsche were like, yeah, this is great. You know, we've proven the concept. We can see traceability. But those aren't our biggest impact items. Our biggest impact items are the sides, you know, are the, 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 the metals in there. So we then doubled down. We engaged with uh, aluminium providers as well as steel providers so we could bring in the chassis. But then they turn around and go, yeah, but half the car now, especially on an EV, is the battery and the electronics. So even if we stay in automotive, we have to work across different upstream value chains. Now, um, in the ISCC project as well, we were working with Philips Domestic Appliances, where they were really interested in the shell of the toaster and their conscious collection. They have a toaster, a water cooker, and another item that I cannot remember what is in there. I think it's a blender. Um, and as soon as we did the the outer casing, the shell, which is by weight the largest proportion of the actual product, 
They're also thinking, yeah, but then we want to trace the whole product. So this is where we start to get to the order of complexity, because if I want to take the lens of a Covestro or a Borealis or a Domo or a Nesta, even, you know, one of our other uh, base material feedstock providers, their material goes into so many different value chains. And honestly, this is the complexity that keeps me up at night and will probably make me lose all of my hair because I now have to deal with all of the regulations in those different markets. I have to deal with the methodologies of accounting in those different markets. But yeah, and John, you're you're screaming and I see you going, oh, how is this going to work? But again, to that point of end-to-end traceability, the materials from one, now this is a good example within PET, uh, plastic bottles. Try and buy recovered PET on the market now because everyone from textiles, from automotive, they want to buy this material because they know the recoverable asset. So if we really want to create that end-to-end circular economy loop where material does go back into different markets, we can't be centered on one specific market at all. We, we have to have what we would call our landing market, which for us has been automotive, chemicals, and, and now we're working a lot with uh, appliances and electronics. But we're already in discussions with actors from aerospace, uh, textiles we've done quite a few projects on, because that's just the nature of how supply yeah, chains yeah. work. And it's it's kind of sounds like it's it's also very material driven, right? Because these are industries that deal with the similar types of materials. Um, and once you have you know the understanding of of the raw material side, which is you know if a let's say PT can go into all kind of uh, uh, sectors, so like from automotive to uh, textile to um, yeah uh, consumer goods. So I think that there you have quite a good base. Um, and um, what is it possible to say something about how it would be, yeah, how how you would measure the impact of your of your uh, activities? Because I I heard like last year you got a, a a Series A investment, so congratulations on that. Um, and um, I know in the green tech sector there's a lot of these. Uh, impact focused investments and investors running so is there is there something that you could like say how you look at your impact or how you would be able to measure it yeah absolutely um the, the thing that is important to uh, note that our technology does not by itself create the impact right so yeah. it's an enabling technology it's not it's not that by having a software solution all of a sudden you uh, you have green or, or, or sustainable chemistry or, or what have you right it's an enabling technology mm-hmm. for these kinds of transitions to take place right because as, as we mentioned earlier you can't have those those uh, innovations such as uh, chemical recycling or, or, or uh, these sustainable transitionings without having a backbone uh, that, that supports that that in a transparent way uh, enables the, the uh, governments, downstream players, consumers yeah, to really yeah. trust what they're buying and what, what they're actually dealing with. So in that sense, our uh, success is really tied to the success in which we uh, enable these, these markets, mm-hmm. right? So um, we have done some more like academic work on this, uh, but but in a nutshell, essentially what you can uh, plot is like two scenarios. How 
uh, much would these technologies take place without any transparency and how much of that acceleration of, of these technologies mm-hmm. uh, can be attributed to, to, to transparency. Um, and, and, and that's really what our, uh, what our, where mm-hmm. our impact is. The, the, the more we can accelerate uh, the, the, the advent of these technologies, uh, the more successful and imp- impactful mm-hmm. our, our technology uh, will be. Just to just to add on to what Mesbar said, though, and Matt, to answer your primary question about our own impact. So as part of our EIC scaling grant, um, so we, we've been funded by the EEU. Um, uh, as part of the scaling grant, they also asked the key question, okay, if you were going to scale this technology, what is the impact of using a blockchain? Because again, this concern and what we've heard, you know, Bitcoin uses the same energy as an entire country of a small nation to do its processing. So it was a fair fair ask. You know, if you are going to utilize a public blockchain, what is the impact that you are adding to this? And there is obviously the question that if a technological solution will really deal with the end problem because technological solutions is only half the battle, you have the people who are they actually going to use the information? But for ourselves, we've just finished a uh, an LCA study. Um, we actually did this in partnership with uh, Leiden University um, in the Netherlands with the Center for um, Sustainability. Um, this was actually with a master's program supervised by two uh, professors at uh, Leiden, one a blockchain expert and one LCA expert, specifically a perspective LCA expert, because we are dealing with perspective technologies. And so what we looked at was firstly, what is the impact of a proof of uh, work mechanism, which um, Ethereum up until a few weeks ago was operating on. Then what would be the impact reduction from a proof of stake mechanism, which they've recently transitioned to. And we also decided to model future energy transition. So Circularize has made certain choices about where we host our data and our own systems. We've chosen the most sustainable that we can with agreements with that data center that there is a trajectory towards net zero, but also how we've structured our system vis-a-vis the minting, creating and sending tokens. But what we also modeled uh, as part of our perspective analysis, and we chose three materials, we chose PET, cardboard, um, and I'm escaped now on the third one, but they're all low value item materials. So we're not talking gold, we're not talking metal, we're not talking those really high value. But the, the thesis of that was, if we create an end-to-end traceability, oh, sorry, uh, PA66, it was a polymide mm, with yeah. third material. Um, the thesis of that was if we trace this across a value chain and it is recovered end of life, what is the potential impact reduction of that? Now, in the first scenario, the proof of work, there is an impact, but it is still largely negligible comparative to the processing and the whole flow of the material. As soon as we move to a proof of stake, it becomes so small especially with the use case of that material being recovered end of life or having the opportunity to be sent to chemical recycling, sent to mechanical recycling and or just the product itself being extended because you have more information about it. In all of those scenarios, the impact was so negligible. And then when you start to increase the future energy transition, where i.e. the data centers that we're using and the uh, input material, uh, sorry, the input energy that the Ethereum network is using is also going to be transitioning towards more renewable. It, it On mm-hmm. every scenario, it just becomes a bit of a no-brainer. If, and that's the key caveat, uh, if uh, the material is then recovered end of life. As Mesbar yeah. said, it's an enabling technology, not a technology that will solve a solution on uh, its own. Uh, uh, 
Can, can, can I just jump in here real quickly on, on a couple of things uh, uh, that, that kind of really stuck out with what you're just mentioning there, Phil, uh, uh, and also uh, from the context that, that I have kind of have a, uh, a, a chemical recycling centric kind of perspective uh, in, in recent uh, times. Uh, and and it's kind of like just mapping uh, what it is uh, that that circularize is is you know words that you're saying and things that circularize is doing uh, and and like Venn diagram mapping those words or mapping that to uh, what what does the chemical recycling industry uh, need now and what are they focusing on now what what are, what are what are let let me just say it what are our priorities you know. Uh, and and it, it's just such it's just such a like just an elegant like one two thing here that that uh, earlier today uh, I was running uh, my 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 association's uh, uh, general assembly for this year uh, and and we were talking about what what we've done you know, this year uh, but obviously talking a lot about what what what's important what's on the horizon number one number one mass balance mass balance mass balance. Nail it down, nail it down, it, and make this happen in 2023 uh, with, with the European Commission. Uh, have it have it uh, accepted horizontally and then vertically down through the member states. That's a huge ask. That won't happen in 2023, but 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 we got to push. We got to push. The solutions that you have and what you're innovating are a key part of substantiating. Uh, Proving the uh, you know the transparency, all these things. So so that's number one, mass balance. Boom. Number two, you you, you mentioned uh, several times the phrase LCA, life cycle assessments, uh, and and data and so on, etc. That's number two. That's our number two. Uh, we we I just approved today seventy thousand euros to spend on a project next year, collecting and developing guidelines for the deployment of LCA methodologies to chemical recycling technologies and and uh uh so so it's just it's just interesting just kind of how how what it is uh that, that you guys are doing and developing maps uh you know this maps to the needs of of this industry and maybe the reason is i mean maybe i mean obviously there's real obvious reasons but uh, it, maybe it is because when you say circularized and how you started, you really meant it. <laughs> you really meant what you're doing, and and, and uh, chemical recycling, the technologies uh, are are um, if properly deployed, uh, will be a part of increasing circularity in this value chain. You know, it's not a silver bullet. It's not. It's not the end of the day. It, it's 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 a part of the solution, uh, and 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 uh, you know, society, uh, and the, the 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 those who who uh, who are leading us in our societies uh, are you know governments, European Commission. Uh, they they they. This is important. You know, they you know European circular economy. You know, this is European Green Deal. I mean, uh, you guys. Uh, are developing solutions that really are making this real. You, you are taking that buzzword of circularity and turning it into a, an implemented reality. And that's exactly what chemical recycling, I, I'm serious. That's what we're doing too. So, okay, my, my little, let me, thank you for, uh, okay, I got to <laughs> shut up and go away, but but, but I, I just have to say that. It's, it's my honest thinking, you know? I think, I think it, it, it was really a, a good summary. Um, Phil, 
Before the last question, yeah, we have, you get one more thing to say. <laughs> um, no, it's just to build on what John said, because it's not serendipity that we've started looking at these elements around mass balance and then LCA. Because, okay, if we look at what life cycle assessment is really trying to achieve, it's trying to, and let's be honest, life cycle assessment was not intended as a methodology to do entire value chains. It was meant to be a product-centric what is the impact of my product? And then we've added scope three onto it. And everyone's going, how do I get all of this information to assess my scope three emissions? But the reason that this is all coming together right now, and this sort of nexus of innovation is because companies, society, governments are all asking the same question. How do we prove what we're doing? Governments have set targets for their impact reduction. Companies have set targets. And companies that want to promote what they're doing need to do so in a reliable way. Now, mass balance is one methodology, chain of custody model that is suitable for that. In the chemical industry, it is already a known entity. But as you quite rightly said, you want to try and get the EU to also accept that this is a recognizable, because outside of chemical processing industry, mass balance is an unknown concept. You know, how does this even work? So the reason that we're we're working across all of these different areas, the challenge that we also foresee is it's part uh, knowledge sharing. And it's also why if anybody is listening, if they'd like any more information on this, they can go to our website. We have a knowledge hub. We have downloadable documents, blogs, where we're talking about scope three missions. So please feel free to access that free available information. I've already shared what you shared with me earlier this evening, uh, this mass balancer, how to. I've already shared it within within some uh, interesting people that would be interested in 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 hearing that so so uh, because why because it's good stuff it this is important to know so anyway i'll shut up continue <laughs> no, thank you thank you for that as well john and my, my my final point on this is just a summary is that we're a scale up now uh, i think mesbel we can say in the netherlands trying to do this but it's it's also we can't do this alone and actually having actors like yourselves actors, your audience members who are listening into this, who are also struggling with the same problems. And this was my core research around how to bring actors together around a collaborative point. The main thing is having a shared vision. And now our shared vision yeah, yeah. is about creating a, is, is actually removing a lot of the headaches from a lot of people around having that data structure in place. Because if you speak to an auditor in the world, if you speak to a sustainability professional, Half of their job is chasing people to get the data so they can do the analysis so they can say what they are or are not doing. Now, if we can streamline that, that means we can actually spend more time dealing with the problem. So I would say your, your two orders of magnitude, mass balance, and then really bringing in the life cycle assessment, the reason those are front and center is because those are the mechanisms that allow a sustainability professional in any of the organizations you're dealing with to make a concrete statement about what they are doing today and about what they will be able to do in the future. We're just a small little enabling feature in that. But Matt, I've probably gone over my one little statement. Yeah, but spoken with such great clarity, Phil. Such clarity. Thank you, man. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I still had one more question, actually. And I think I'm, I, I just want to... I just want to ask it <laughs> because we we were talking about the the investment. So first of all, your your investment the, the you started with e, an EU grant from the EIC, right? Can you tell us about the type 
uh, of investors in the Series A. You don't have to mention name, but like, was it a a big fund for for green tech, or was it like uh, we, we, we can equity? actually uh, yeah? mention the name because it's it's sure. been publicly mentioned uh, before. Uh, so um, our lead investment is Brightlands Venture Partners. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a, a venture yeah. capital uh, firm from uh, the Netherlands. They're right, uh, yeah, in in in, in the Brightlands Campus, Campus, uh, we should say. Um, uh, in the south of the Netherlands, an area, uh, a campus around chemistry, many different parties in mm-hmm. there. Uh, it started with, with DSM and, and then yeah, others. There's, there's a whole whole uh, uh, ecosystem there. So um, that that's really really helpful because our primary mm-hmm. market is and for the foreseeable future will be uh, petrochemicals and and, and 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 everything that touches that space. Um, the other investor uh, is a, a VC called For Impact. Uh, they are uh, impact investors in the uh, enterprise SaaS space, so B two B SaaS uh, software. Um, and then the two other investors are uh, uh, customers of ours. So it's uh, Nesta, mm-hmm. which is um, uh, a, a world leader provider of renewable diesel and and, and yeah, what yeah. have you from Finland. And then Asai Kasai, which is a petrochemical company from uh, Japan because uh, yeah, yeah. not not only again petrochemicals but also uh, Japan is a huge focus for us so mm-hmm. that's a really good um, kind of party that uh, that we uh, got together for our series A. Great. Just uh, to finalize on the point as well, um, it should be noted that within our series A the members that Mesbar have mentioned so far are those that are publicly listed there are others on our cap mm-hmm. table and we are also do have a lot more engagement with corporate venture capitalists as well. But the key thing and what is extremely important for ourselves as Circularize is to maintain an independence mm. because we don't want to become the Nesta or the Asai Kasai solution. Mm. Uh, actually, we want to become an industry solution, which is why <clears throat> getting this balance of uh, innovation campus such as Brightlands that have multiple players acting within. As John said, there are so many people operating within that campus. But then also the uh, for impact, the impact investor. So Matt, to your point around, you know, why yeah, are that's what I was asking looking at <laughs> exactly? Yeah. And then then we have the companies that are also acting at this. But these are companies at the beginning of the chain, so that it's really because you've got to start traceability somewhere. Now, you can either start at the end of life when you recover the material, or you can start it at the beginning when you try to bring new materials in. So this is, it's essentially, it's been a lot of hard work, but it's our perfect scenario for now. There will be other announcements, obviously, and and there are others on the cap table, but this is really just the beginning. Like what we're really trying to focus on is also reaching those atomic networks, those groups of actors who are already working together they are in business and that they actually start to use this, the system to really start exploring. Because for me, when I look at a lot of what companies are doing when it comes to digital traceability, they first see it as a, oh, we have to do this because of this and this and this regulation. But when you trip them over into the next phase of you've proven the concept and proven that you can do it, they suddenly, the penny drops, they're like, ah, mm-hmm. but we can do this for material flow analysis. We can start to understand where our products are coming from and where they're going. We can actually start to now, John, to your point around chemical recycling and how that could work. If I'm trying to build a multi-million dollar facility in a certain location, I probably need to know how much material is in that area. Now, if you have a network of actors using Circularize or a system like Circularize that talks to each other, 
then you can start to actually know how much of my polyolefins that aren't recyclable in mechanical means or in other areas are actually in this area. Does it make sense to put my chemical recycling unit here or here, uh, you know, different locations? Mm-hmm. The reason that having this uh, investment right now really helps us is not just because of the network and the name, but it's also that it allows us to start really growing that network participation, bringing more and more actors in. So Matt, to your previous point about where is the uh, scope and opportunity of Circularize, it's really about bringing that network growth. And what we've been experiencing to date is usually a tripling when we actually have an, uh, an engagement. We actually triple that each time. We're building our supplier base. We're building our uh, OEMs and brands. And I think you know engagements like this with your community, if we can scale that and then, again, a tripling effect, before we know it, we'll probably be too big to even really uh, manage it all ourselves, which is also why we need the Series A investment, because we also need to grow the team. And to the point of complexity, our aim is to also develop the back end, uh, the technical staff, but also develop the key competencies in different markets. As Mesbar said, our, our playground right now is chemicals and polymers and petrochemical space. But if we move into aluminium, mining, metals, you know, critical materials, that's a whole different ball game. So we need to be able to bring in that expertise so we can service those clients as well. I think I overextended my last uh, point there, but Matt. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. As I said, as I said, like I think uh, we, if we continue asking and if we continue in this discussion, um, mm. we will have uh, only one guest this year, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, before, before, Matt, before you get to the last uh, most important question, yeah. I, I, I find this as a point of humor, but... but uh, we we never did find out Meshpa. Uh, what do you do? What do you do at Circular? We never did get to your introduction. Uh, what do you do? I mean, are you are you some like a junior project engineer or something? I mean, who, who are you anyway? We, we want to talk to the important you guys, usually you know? bring coffee uh, and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Do, you lunch. do you maybe know the founder? I'd like to coffee machine at home though. He has the Rolls Royce of coffee machines at home. <laughs> no, I'm not joking. I do make coffee. <laughs> no, no, uh, 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 in all seriousness, I mean, can can you tell a little bit about uh, about yourself? Because I I I, I actually uh, I was looking you up, and I know a little bit, but but uh, it'd be good to hear it from you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my, my role uh, obviously as a, as a founder has changed a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started doing everything, um, and then tried to focus more, and now kind of trying to pull back a bit uh, from 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 the trenches. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, when when I started. Uh, it was just Jordi and me with, with the two of us, um, mm-hmm. and we obviously needed to do everything. Um, mm-hmm. I quickly realized uh, the ideas are great, but we need to fail fast and build stuff. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I taught myself a bit how to code. Build fast, I like that, Brett. I, I build our, our first applications, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are still in use by some legacy customers. So um, mm-hmm. kind of built a, a bit of the foundation. Um, uh, myself uh, and uh, today I'm primarily overseeing the the, the, the product and the technology team, uh, but over time I'm also uh, trying to step back a little bit more to see how how, how to ensure the vision of the company is still uh, still kept and, and and we could keep moving towards uh, towards that direction. So um, yeah, I would say day day to day I am very much into uh, making sure that. Uh, 
we iterate fast on the product. Uh, again, we the only thing we know is that we don't know what the solution should look like, uh, and we need to figure out which mm-hmm. solutions don't work and why, and mm-hmm. m- improve upon them as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very much uh, connected with customers and clients on a day-to-day basis, and making that translation back to the technology and keeping that vision alive, um, mm-hmm. because it's very easy to lose yourself in a rabbit hole or even worse build the wrong product that doesn't solve the right solution yeah yeah well hey thank you for that Uh, okay you now i know some more about you thank you so matt (laughs) yeah well um there is only one question left only one (laughs) yeah we we have a plastic climate future playlist on spotify and for this we we always ask two or three songs but we never had two guests so i think we can have one song each that you would like to share with us that connects either to you as a person or to the work you do or or simply to you want to 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 bring it out to the world yeah let, let us you know we 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 want to we want to grow and learn so let us hear what, what you listen to <laughs> uh <laughs> I, I i can name a song Okay. Uh, that I do listen to uh, on repeats uh, while working. Um, so uh, if that's any any good, <laughs> you can. That's do perfect. Too. Um, <laughs> yeah, very good. It, 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 the song is called Everything. Yeah. And uh, let me pull it up here. Yeah, this is. So, do, do you need it on uh, Spotify? This need we just need the artist the artist yeah uh, got it the, the artist is called City of the Sun uh-huh. City of the Sun okay we got and, it and, right. the, and the and the song is called Everything okay all right Matt have That's you heard of, I, this is new for me this is new for me but maybe Matt Matt's cool. no I'm I'm, cool. I'm honestly yeah. I will look it up I will look it up I've never but, heard but we'll, one. yeah we, is it we'll like or it electronic music or is it uh, it's instrumental only Instru- uh, okay. Yeah, it's it's that, that's a, that's their thing. Okay, thank Phil, you. Man. I know I know from Phil because we talked before. It's it must be some some rock or reggae stuff. Let's hear it. Let's hear it, Phil. <laughs> you gotta out your. I have I have to say um, we had this scheduled before uh, last week, but I went to an Alt J concert, uh, <laughs> so I would say. Something along Alt-J, but I've also been really sneaky and just looked on Spotify for another name, which is called Going in Circles, Friends of Distinction. Okay. So I, wow, for for wow. me, that would, be, that would be my pick. And here is a replay. <laughs> Going in circles, I like that.